Welcome to the Raising Kellen podcast. My name is Marsh Naidu and I blog at raisingkellen.org where we curate resources for parents raising children with disabilities. As always, remember the information provided on this podcast is purely informational and if you are seeking advice for your specific situation to contact a trained professional. On today's episode 80, we talk with Miss Annette Graves as well as Katrina Van Buren from Family Engagement in Special Education, which is part of ARC Tennessee. So grab your cup of coffee, put your feet up, and get ready for some awesome conversation. Today I'm joined by Miss Annette Grace and Katrina Van Buren, who are with Family Engagement in Special Education, and this is actually part of Arc Tennessee. I am so grateful for both you ladies joining us this morning on the Raising Killen podcast. Thank you for having us. Before we head into family engagement, I, I would just like to know a little about you ladies as well. Miss Annette Graves, can you just tell us a little bit about how you got into uh, special education? Thank you very much. First of all, uh, I'm a 35-year former educator. I've been a teacher in regular education and special education as well, where I taught inclusion classes. I have a brother with an intellectual disability, and then also I have a granddaughter that's on the spectrum. So I'm just very passionate about helping parents and helping students to be the best they could be. And I'm passionate about finding resources that are available for parents as well as the students to maximize their potential and uh, empower them to be uh, the best person, the best student that they can be. Thank you, Miss Annette. Katrina, what about yourself? Um, my story is kind of the same. I have a son who has a disability. He has um, autism. Um, went into education starting from that when I started to see his struggles. And so just wanted to learn whatever I needed to do to make sure that he was, you know, equipped with what he needed throughout his life. So I went to school, got my master's in education, um, taught in uh, Shelby County Public Schools for uh, four years and then went back to school for special education leadership, got my EDS with that. And my story, um, again, is familiar with Miss Annette. I also have a sister who has intellectual disability. So like, I'm always like her side person. <laughs> She's always connected with me one way or another. And so that has been my connection. But mainly once I had a child with a disability, it just went full force from there, you know, just trying to make sure that he has what he need. And in long term, it also helped me help other people because now I'm like Miss Annette, where I want to help families get the resources that they need as well. Miss Annette, can you tell us exactly what family engagement in special education is all about? Right. Family engagement in special education and we have the Art Tennessee. We are the bridge that brings families and the community and the State Department together with resources and information. We do a lot of things to help our families to get more involved with a child's education. And one of the greatest things that we do is educate them 
with the resources that they need. We write family-friendly resources for our parents. You know, a lot of times when things come down from the State Department, new laws are developed and come into play, we take that information, we write in family-friendly language, and distribute that to the parents to make them aware of what they can do for their child and what things are available for their child. So we're like that bridge that brings families together to be more uh, educated about the resources for their children and what's out there. Because so many things out there, I think that families may not be aware of. That's why I believe you guys are such a valuable resource. So you guys are not a state agency as such. You're actually part of Arc Tennessee or one of the branches of Arc Tennessee. Correct. We are um, one of the, we are grant-based, working alongside of the Tennessee Department of Education. Now there is an arc, like I'm pretty sure in every city, (laughs) every county. So, um, but we are the state one, the arc Tennessee. I know we're kind of heading into April and a lot of kids, uh, April and May, might be a time period where a lot of kids have their IEPs coming up. So just to kind of touch and educate parents on that, what is an IEP and what is a 504 and how are they different from each other? Okay. So an IEP and a 504, although they, many people may think it's the same or many people may believe um, is one or the other, They both are an educational plan that is designed for um, your child that's needing support and services. But an IEP, which is an individual education plan, is a legal document that um, outlines the special education services, some supports, or anything that your child may need to thrive in school. The 504 plan is like a written plan that outlines some appropriate supports that a child may need to have equal access to the education environment. Again, any child can have either one. Now, both of them goes under um, a different law. So when it comes to the IEP, it's protected under the Individuals with Disability Education Act, or you'll hear IDEA, and the 504 is protected under the Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act of 1973. So those two laws is what helps define um, if your child will be getting a IEP or 504. With the IEP, if you go like deeper into the IDEA or go deeper into the law, it is to ensure that children have a free, appropriate public education. So you'll hear FAPE, F-A-P-E, but that just means free, appropriate public education, they want to ensure that all children with disabilities have access to that. And so the requirements that goes under that law, and like Ms. Annette said, sometimes it's long and in-depth and you get kind of confused because there's so much reading that you have to do. But to pick out those core points, um, one, your child disability has to be affected by 13 categories. The IDEA has 13 um, disability categories. And so you have to have one of those 13 categories and that um, disability must affect like their ability to learn or benefit from the general education curriculum. And they need like a specialized instruction to make progress in the school. 
on the other side with the 504 under the um, Section 504 Rehabilitation Act. So there are some requirements in that as well. And one of the things, again, is they want to make sure that the child have equal access to the classroom so your child can have any disability. It doesn't have to be one of those 13. It could be any disability. It can, um, if that disability interferes with their ability to learn in the general education classroom, and this can be from like learning or reading or communicating, like it could be wheelchair access, it can be any type of disability um, that your child may have that can possibly get a 504 um, plan. And so a child who doesn't qualify for an IEP can still have, um, be able to get a 504 plan. So the whole goal is just to ensure something is in place for the child to receive the supports that they need. A lot of time with the IEP, there is more, um, intensive type support may need more intensive versus 504 could be, hey, I need uh, wheelchair access, right? To get into the classroom. It can be uh, different things, but that's kind of like the breakdown of the two. Again, and the overall goal is just to make sure that they have a free appropriate public education. 504, you also have equal access to the classroom. I got you. So, and guys, correct me if I'm wrong, but so a IEP is more federally mandated. That falls under idea that is more like an official document or your kid's diagnosis may fall under one of those 13 categories. That's correct. And so um, the 504, the only other thing I didn't mention, as you just said, the IEP is a, a federal we call legal binding document to have different steps that has to be done, different things that has to be outlined in it. Um, 504 plan actually doesn't even have to be written down. It just needs to be some type of communication with the parent or and the school so that they can get the appropriate accommodation. Many schools still do write it down that way that they can, everyone can be on uh, one accord, but um, by law, they do not have to uh, write it down. So that is a, a good thing to make sure that um, many know. There's not a specific template that the civil rights law require. Miss Annette, so as a parent, I see that my child is struggling at school. What would some of the first steps be that I need to take in order to address that issue? or get my child set up so that uh, they can get the supports they need? What would be some of the first steps that I needed? Well, some of the first steps that you would need that your child set up would be, first of all, to have a meeting and talk with your child's current teacher. You have to decide, uh, let them know your concerns, and then perhaps get things set up for your child to have observations. And sometimes a teacher will already have observations of your child. But you want to do observations first and, and talk with the teacher. And after talking with your teacher and getting those observations done, then we can move into maybe setting up some type of testing for your child. And then go from testing to the next level of uh, you know, a complete physical examination, of course. And then maybe discussing after the testing, examination and observations, discussing next step is maybe having an IEP meeting. 
to see what the results are of all the data you've collected so far with your observations and with the, you know, preliminary testing. Now, you know, sometimes we kind of get overwhelmed when you are new to IEP field and when you're new to 504s, there's a whole lot of lingo that kind of gets thrown at you. And so if you guys don't mind giving us the 411 on some of these abbreviations, um, the first is LRE. Okay. So the LRE is the least restrictive environment. And when we talk about least restrictive environment, it's just pretty much saying what's the appropriate placement for the child. Um, of course, we have general education classroom. We have uh, self-contained classroom. We got a resource where they do pull out. So it's so many different um, placements that could possibly happen. And so least restrictive environment speaks on that where the child will spend um, their time when they're in school. And so every child is different. We can't say, hey, make sure if you got an IP, you go on special education. Make sure if you got a 504, you go and generate because that's that would be um, false. Um, every child is different. The data will tell you, the child's ability would tell you. Um, so again, as Ms. Annette said, after all of the testing is done and the testing has been reviewed and analyzed and the team has met together to go over that testing, that will um, talk about which LRE or least restricted environment the child will go into. Ms. Annette, P-L-E-P, PLEP, what does that mean? P-L-E-P, PLEP, means present level of educational performance. Now, the PLEP outlines the student's current performance in all areas. It will entail what can a student do? What areas are the student is the student currently working or having difficulties? And the PLEP would also indicate the student's areas of strength. And then lastly, it would indicate the student's areas of uh, difficulties. What are they struggling with? What are the challenges for that particular student? So it's just the present level of educational performance is a PLEP. Okay. Uh, Katrina, uh, what is the difference between uh, accommodation versus a modification? Okay, so accommodation and modification, again, those are two words that um, people use interchangeably, but accommodate is how the student will learn the material. Um, modification is what changes or how the student is taught or expected to learn. So for instance, accommodate, if we are both doing uh, math, right, and I need a calculator and you do not. So I'm accommodating of how how I will learn it because I may need to meet the calculator. Modification is um, we're doing math. You are on multiplication and I may be on addition. So they're changing what is taught or what is expected for uh, me to learn. And again, based on data, based on the child's um, data and disability, um, that will determine the appropriate accommodations and modification Again, that's not a one-size-fits-all. Everyone would not get the same thing. It just depends on what's needed for that specific child in their unique um, situation. So my question is this. When it comes to testing, what are some of the tests that are perhaps done on the school at the school level as far as placement of your child's abilities? Or do you think that's a fair question to ask? 
Um, I guess that's a fair question. There will always be testing. There are some there can be informal testing, and that is where um, a teacher may have like observations that they're looking at, or you know, may have checklists that they're doing to see what the child can do. Or that can be formal testing, which is the state testing that will determine, you know, what state testing they will take at the end of the year. Again, we have to base it off data, and we know our children do plenty and all everything for us but when they get into school it may be different so they have to use other data than just what um, um you you as a parent or you as a family say that your child can do i can use an example for my son my son does uh, addition here but when he gets to school he may not do that you know for them and that doesn't mean he doesn't know it. They have to go off the data that's right in front of them. They can't just go word of mouth because I could say, hey, he knows how to do uh, trigonometry and we could be lying, right? So they have to go there. And yeah. a parent's voice is important. Please tell them, you know, what your child can do. But don't be upset or don't feel um, less of anything if they don't see it. Because, you know, our, our children do different when they may not be in front of us. That's so true. That's good. That's yeah, good. that's good. Because sometimes not in a good mood that day. They don't feel yeah. like taking a test. But uh, that's it's true about children. That's right. What happens in a case where they may not members of this IEP team seeing eye to eye? How do you reach a resolution? Okay. So, um, man, Miss and I always talk about um, empowerment, but. Speaking on empowerment, you have to advocate for your child. You have to say, um, you know, what you feel your child is needing or, you know, if you are in disagreement. A good thing about advocating for your child is don't argue. When you argue, you're not getting to a solution. So you need to um, think about what, what the issue is. Talk with the, the teacher first. Talk with the team together and see, can you come to a resolution? There may be conflict throughout their entire journey. I mean, to be honest, to be transparent, there may be some type of conflict throughout the entire journey. There may be some type of disagreement throughout the entire journey. But um, if you feel, hey, this is better, state your case. State your case of why you feel this, why you think um, this would be better for you know your child. And then a lot of time when you are talking and you're collaborating with each other, I mean, each one of us don't have the, the last and final answer. That's why we are a team. So that way we can hear, what have you done? What have you done? You know, all the different things to come to a resolution. If that doesn't work, you know, you tried all the good thing, the positive thing, and that doesn't work, then they have something called your procedure safeguards. And what your procedure safeguards is, it tells you about your rights and it tells you um, if you don't agree here, what are my next steps to go from here? And so the procedure safeguards will um, outline um, your next step because you did your first step, which is, you know, we're talking. We, we as a team, we're trying to come to a, a conclusion. But if not, then you have to go to your procedure safeguards and go whatever your next step, if you feel that is necessary. But hopefully as a team, y'all have got it, you know, and came to a resolution that's great for you and great for the, the school as well. And may I add something? Yes, I like parents to know that you don't have to sign the IEP that day. If you don't agree with something in a child's IEP, don't be rushed to sign that day. You can come back later when you want to resolve the issue or sign mm -hmm. the IEP, but you don't have to sign that day if you're not in agreement with what's going on. 
Thank you for that, Ms. Zanich. And and I mean, I'm just talking from my standpoint as a parent. I just think that communication piece, Katrina, is so vital. Our teachers um, are providing value to our kids. And and that's a, I I take my head out because that is just not an easy job at all. So, uh, but, but just opening that communication door as far as, how can you help support your child? And not only, you know, having that expectation from the team at school, but also having some carry through at home as well. And I think um, communication will be like good communication will be developed over time. If you ensure that you are talking to your child's teacher and, you know, just the team all the time, not just when there's a problem, you know, because that, that puts some type of, um, that puts some type of hostility or whatever between you. Cause yeah. every time I talk, mm-hmm. there's a problem, you know, yeah. we've never talked when, Hey, he just flipped today. And I thought that was so funny. You know, mm-hmm. it can be nothing. Right. But that those little moments matter. And I know for me in the beginning of our journey, it was not easy. <laughs> just to be honest, it was not easy. It was always like a problem, problem, problem. But then once I've learned, you know, they want the same from me, you yes. know, mm-hmm. they want me to be as positive to them, tell them the greatness that they're doing as well as I want the same when it comes to information about my son. And I think when you develop that, then it's, it's just easier to talk to them. You know, they don't feel <laughs> resistant to go into the meeting because they like, okay, mm-hmm. we're fine. I understand yeah. that. No, for sure. But anyway, guys, what's Nick, are there any interesting events being planned at family uh, engagement um, for these next few months coming up? And how can parents uh, engage with you all and, and get to find out more about the, the resources that you all have? So we have a virtual parent support group that um, Annette and I started where we wanted to do um, like this, where we pretty much just any topic that we think is valuable, as well as getting the topics from other other family members. And we our next one is coming up. Thursday, we're talking about transitions, um, transition through school, whether that's from what it would look like from pre-K going into kindergarten or kindergarten going into elementary, Mm -hmm. middle to high, and then beyond, high school and beyond. And again, it's not like that in depth. It's only an hour and a half, but it's just more of this is what to look out for. My son is in high school now. Miss Annette, granddaughter's in high school. So we kind of like giving our experience of what this looked like and what to kind of look for um, as they are going into those moments or if they already in there. Um, so we have that one. Um, as far as other engagements right now with the art, I don't think we have anything else. If so, to be on our website. And what so, is that website, Katrina? Um, it is familyengagementtn.org. Ladies, uh, are there any words of encouragement that y'all would like to end off before we leave today? Go ahead, Miss Amelia. All right. I just like to add, that's why family engagement is so important. The more the families are involved at their schools with their children, the less conflicts you're going to have. And we have research that says that. The more you're involved, the better relationships you're going to have with with the teachers, with the administrators the less conflict that you're going to have. 
And mine would be, um, we kind of just touched on it, but, you know, remember to be a, a great advocate for your child. Advocate, don't argue. Um, make sure they know that advocate does not mean come in like a mama bear. Um, mm -hmm. Advocate for the things that your child may need. And also um, look at those procedural safeguards. Those That is the most vital piece ever. They give it to us at every meeting. And I know we get tired of getting that book. But <laughs> at least keep one and, and read it because it will guide you through your educational rights. And if you do not know, do not try to do it on your own. Connect with somebody. Well, guys, thank you so much for your time today. Um, and, um, you know, all the best moving forward and hope to see you all sometime in the future. All right. Thank you again for having us. You are so, you. You're so welcome. Thank you so much for listening along with us. We would highly appreciate a rate and review of this podcast episode on your podcast player, in addition to sharing the information. I would like to close off today's episode by honoring the memory of Judith Human. Judy was widely regarded as the mother of the disability rights movement and passed away in Washington, D.C. on March the 4th, 2023. Judy was at the forefront of major disability rights demonstration and spearheaded the passage of many disability rights laws, including the Rehabilitation Act of 1973, specifically with reference to Section 504, IDEA, which is the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, and also the ADA, the American with Disabilities Act. Judy's legacy lives on forever in her advocacy for the disability rights movement, as well as her books, including Being Human, an unrepentant memoir of a disability rights activist, which she wrote together with Kristen Joyner, as well as the young adult version entitled Rolling Warrior. She was also featured in the Oscar-nominated documentary film called Crip Camp, A Disability Revolution. Judy, rest in peace. We come to the end of another podcast. And as always, remember, get to the top of your mountain. This is Marsh Naidu signing off.